0: The FT On Sunday, Guinea has its first competitive election since independence in nineteen fifty eight. The country which is probably best known for its mineral resources been under something of a shadow since a coup, a military coup in two thousand and eight. I'm joined now by the FT's West Africa correspondent Tom Burgess, who is in Conakry, the Guinea capital ahead of the elections. Hello, Tom. With Sunday's poll, why should this matter so much to people and why does it in particular matter to international investors?
1: Well, it matters first and foremost, of course, to Guineans who've had 52 years of of hell in one way or another. They are extremely excited. Their expectations are very, very high for civilian rule and a competitive election. For everybody else, uh, Guinea sits at the centre of an incredibly volatile region that's also very, very rich in in minerals. We've had recent conflicts in Liberia, Sierra Leone, Côte d'Ivoire, Guinea has avoided a full-on civil war at any stage but it sits at the centre of that tinderbox, if you like. For mining investors there's been a flurry of interest. Rusal has been here for a long time, the Russian aluminium group. It's one of the leading producers of bauxite, the ore from which you make aluminium. What's happened recently, just as Guinea's been going through another round of political convulsions, is that there's been a rush of interest from uh, mining groups and others wanting to get to its iron ore. It's got Huge amounts of undeveloped iron ore, some of the biggest deposits in the world, and there's been over the past year, two years, extraordinary interest, promises of forty billion dollars worth of of investment, but also acrimonious disputes over who gets what rights and uh, and who is actually going to develop these assets.
0: Interest from who? Which countries and which which mining companies have, have been expressing interest?
1: Well, it's very global. In fact, people who've been here uh, the longest, as I say, are Rusal mining that that bauxite in the the northwest of the country. But on the other side, uh, by the border with Liberia, you have these huge quantities of iron ore. Now, Rio Tinto, the uh, Anglo-Australian group, one of the world's biggest mining houses, they've been here for over 10 years. But it's been anything but plain sailing for them. Uh, In 2008, the previous government took half of the rights to uh, the big deposit called Simandu. They took half of those rights off them, saying, you've sat on this for too long, we want someone to actually build a mine. Uh, Rio has pointedly not made a public acceptance of losing those rights. That half of Simandu that was taken away from them, that's ended up with Benny Steinman, a diamond magnate from Israel who's now brought in In recent weeks, Vale of Brazil, the biggest iron ore mining company. Then you have Bellzone, a little London-listed explorer, which has teamed up with the China International Fund, a fairly secretive, uh, ostensibly private fund based out of Hong Kong, which has got all manner of interests in Angola and uh, even in the US now. And these groups are competing for rights, but also jostling for who will be able to build the preferred export route. You have to build billions of dollars worth of of ports and railways to get the stuff out. And the new government will have to look again at these, these accords that have been written and decide who they think is actually going to start developing these assets.
0: Tom, you mentioned a moment ago that, unlike some of its neighbours, Guinea has avoided civil war in recent years, but it did suffer a military coup back in 2008, which was both quite unexpected but also violent. Despite that, these companies are still interested in investing. But what has that done ahead of the election? What is it that people expect will change
1: well, those expectations are very broad. Some would say dangerously high in a way in that, you know, people have gone in the last, as you say, there was the coup in 2008. The violence came, came later. The violence came in September. Suddenly, militias and, uh, and security forces loyal to, uh, Musa Dabis Kamara, who was the erratic young officer who, who took part in 2008. Those troops fired on a demonstration in the National Stadium one of the most horrific events in, in Guinea's pretty sorry history, killing 156 and raping dozens of women publicly. Now, what, what has happened in the most extraordinary kind of nine months since then, one of Dadis's aides tries to kill him, shoots him in the head, doesn't kill him, but he's pushed out of the picture. His successor, Sebuke comes in and drives through this transition. He sidelines some of them the most kind of outrageous security commanders, and he pushes through this transition to elections. Now, what you have now is people expecting, perhaps in a way that they did in South Africa in 1994, a long-suffering population expecting a miracle once there's an elected civilian ruler. There is a sort of jubilant mood. The rallies are like carnivals. It is a sort of fantastic mood, but you wonder what happens when a civilian ruler comes in. The, the results well, no, will probably be contested, the process looks fairly shambolic. There could well be a civilian kind of coalition or a civilian leader, but the public finances are in disarray. For all this mining interest, the the vast bulk of Guinea's economy is informal and delivering even simple things uh, schools, electricity is going to prove very difficult it's going to prove very difficult to fulfil those expectations
0: And what, what can we expect then on Sunday? I mean are there other are kind of security concerns? What are the sort of international observers saying about what's happened so far and how they expect Sunday's polling to go?
1: Well there are security concerns I mean this, this country has been dominated by the military for at least 30 years and what's happened is General Conate who is the, the sort of interim president has put in place this 6,000 strong force to oversee the elected try and prevent violence. There's a possibility of ethnic tension, not too much so far, just some scuffles, but that's always a risk, especially in a, in a second round. The mood among the observers generally, we were speaking to, to observers from, from the Carter Centre, G- Jimmy Carter's uh, election monitoring organisation. Their sense of it is, look, the process is going to be shambolic, the, the rules are changing all the time, there will be countless opportunities for candidate losing candidates to, to cry foul, but there is a, a broader sense that this is extraordinarily fortuitous moment. Where you could get a half decent civilian government, and I think there are enough people invested in that, even if it's a compromised solution, even if it's a sort of negotiated solution between the, the front runners that you, you could see emerging from this a legitimate civilian government.
0: Thank you very much for that, Tom. You can read Tom Burgess's accounts of what happens in the Guinea Poll on Sunday and in coming days at FT.com For more downloads go to FT.com forward slash podcasts.